Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, brought to you by the Ruminations Radio Network and sponsored by Film Obsessive. This is the tirades filled movie debate hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. Oh, I'm mm. William Henry Johnson III. Ooh, I feel really bad for your great-grandfather. Um, okay, William Henry Johnson, Volume 3 is probably how oh, I should have done that. That that Now that'll play. All right. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we're damn glad to have you folks. This is all for tantrum, sacred, share passions, and high fives. Watch away any place for hate. No matter what, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off in the hissy fight is on. This week, we welcome back Katie Glidewell. Hi. <laughs> One in front. <laughs> That's right. So we teased this on our episode of uh, covering Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We wanted to kind of come in. Um, this is kind of a, a will call here more than anything. Is uh, Have a retrospective on the in, the enormity and the entirety of the Guardians of the Galaxy's impact into the MCU. Where we cover the three core films, the specials, the, their appearances in the Avengers movies. And that's kind of where this is kind of going to go. Will, tell us how you kind of came about like, hey, I, I want to go here. You know? Well, I mean... I mean, Guardians, like I said, is probably uh, next to Infinity, where I mentioned this last episode, my probably my top ranked Marvel film. I mean, I, I adore Guardians. Uh, everyone who knows me knows that I'm a collector of statues and toys, and I have an entire Guardian section uh, complete with like four or five different groups, some that talk, <laughs> some that are taller than my second child. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, I'm always down to talk Guardians of the Galaxy. And I was just kind of thinking like, you know, for such a fringe, you know, and I, I say this with respect in terms of popularity, not their characters, like C to D list popularity characters, you know, in this universe suddenly becoming such major players. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of amazing that the amount of appearances that they've made, the effect that they've had on the universe makes so much of the stuff they've done has really run the MCU. And, uh, and, and just the fact that it's probably one of the most fun casts ever. Like it's just, it's just a great thing to talk about. And uh, I think we all have varying levels of how we feel about all three, but I, I don't think even, even uh sourpuss Don who gave it three out of five on volume three. I mean, I, I don't <laughs> think any of them are bad in any of our eyes. Right. So mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's just a great series. They're great characters, and there's I mean the third one is out. It's a success, I think, critically and commercially. I don't know if it's as successful commercially as people want it to be. I don't know. That's I true. Don't, yeah, I don't really care about that kind of stuff really. But um, yeah, it just it's something worth looking into because believe it or not, not only have they made what seven eight appearances if you count the I am Groot shorts, but you know, the, they've also existed for almost 10 years, you know, in the mm-hmm. cinematic mm-hmm. universe, which is pretty wild to think about. So I don't know. It's just worth going back and visiting and, and seeing how this all played out, what it all meant, yeah, how they, how they did, you know, and, and go from there. Okay. Well, here's how we'll do it. Well, um, this isn't quite the same praise and high-minded cases and uninterrupted minutes and all that, but we'll do opening fives here just to kind of give everyone kind of their stance, you know, um, how the, you know how, how the series and the characters went for you uh, just kind of kind of paint where you're coming from and then uh, we'll open it up for some shared discussion and give a good episode here so uh, will gave us the preface of where the idea comes from Katie you go first and tell us what does it all mean to you 
So for me with the Guardians, I mean, it starts from one. Uh, you automatically have it set in Missouri, which is my home state. So I was like, uh, hot damn, you got me. Uh, and then to see Greg Henry playing uh, Peter's grandfather, who to me is an amazing character actor, has been in some of my favorite genre films. And I know he has done a lot of work with James Gunn. Uh, again, uh, that was something that I was looking forward to. But the main thing about this is that, I mean, Chris Pratt, yes, he's on Parks and Recreation at that time. Zoe Saldana, I've known through different things. Bradley Cooper had a major crush on, but I mean, I didn't know how that was going to work. And then Vin Diesel, I was like, okay. But the main reason why I wanted to see this was because of Gunn. Um, I've loved his work. Um, he's from, he's a Missouri guy as well. So I was already hooked. I love Lee Pace. Uh, I thought the first film was freaking fantastic. The soundtrack was amazing. I remember singing all these songs with my nephews in the car after it came out. So, I mean, I was hooked. And it's one of those things that you have all these characters who are basically orphans that are coming together to um, finding in their own family of friends. And that's something that you don't get to see in a lot of films because usually somebody has some sort of significant other and this is one of those only um characters that none of them they're starting straight from scratch and then you go to two and two is the one that got me because two is the one where you're focusing on peter's you know not knowing who his father is and stuff and then it being kurt russell i mean get the f out of here at one he is the if there's, I always hear this whenever I would do interviews with people. If there's one guy that um, other guys would be with, um, it is Kurt Russell. I mean, he is absolutely amazing. He was a perfect casting for Peter's dad, especially him being a celestial and having like basing, basically a planet. Uh, but then you have Sylvester Stallone, and you get to see more of all these people that uh, James Gunn loves and. Uh, has been with, but it's not only two. Two had that ending that, um, and I was talking to Don about this. Normally, I um, at that time I was getting out of the film and I would give a reaction stuff like that. I I couldn't even keep myself together. It's like I have photos where my I just I'm just streaming. There's just tears coming down my face because the last song, the everything about Yondu. I mean, it was to me. Still, I think that is a beautiful film. And then you see the Guardians in Infinity War, and you really get to see this is where you see uh, Peter and Gamora's relationship really have that romantic. I mean, there's always that will they, won't they, and all this stuff. But this is where you see that they they were in love. They had a relationship. This was beautiful. And as much as people blame Thor for what happened with the blip. Uh, sorry, not sorry, but this was Quill's <laughs> fault. This was Peter's Quill's fault through and through. If he had just stopped, they would have had the gauntlet off the off Thanos' hand, but he couldn't. And then everything went to shit. So yeah, you want to talk about five years go by? Rocket, out of all those people of the of Guardians, Ro well, no, Rocket and Nebula, 
But Rocket's the one, you know, who's like, I don't know. He, I felt like, had more stuff going on and lost. And I mean, then when you think about all the losses that everyone's had, I mean, Peter lost his mom. But then, I mean, Rocket, you see his um, story arc in three and everything that he's gone through. But then losing everyone for five years and having to deal with that and then people coming back. and. I mean, I think it's a great end to a fantastic group of people. Like, I mean, these are people who started off with losing so much and then they've gained not only a new family, but also I felt like a sense of themselves, even ones who kind of lost themselves like Mora. Like, well, I mean, I don't know if she really lost herself. She just is a different version of herself. But now it's like they've got their own family and their own sense of who they are and their purpose and i think it's a beautiful way to end um the entire trilogy well done well done well done thank you five on the dot (laughs) that's right good job um yeah i mean guardians was a revelation to me um you know the first one has we talked about this in a a prior episode or maybe a future episode. I don't know where we're at, but you know, uh, Peter Quill is one of my all time favorite heroes of all movies everywhere. You know, he's, I don't know if he's top three, top two, whatever, but uh, you know, I just fell in love with that star Lord character. Um, and, uh, and mainly because, um, you know, I just, I just adored how organic the character is because yes, he has, a lot of flaws. He is a man child, but it never dips into parody. It never dips into, um, you know, doing a joke for a joke's sake. Like everything that uh, runs through Quill's mind, it seems like it makes sense in terms of his um, background. And uh, I think, you know, he is the leader of this Guardians of the Galaxy team and, and all the characters kind of have it. The whole film has that, you know, it has uh, this perfect blend of action, humor, drama, pathos. I mean, it has sexy moments. It has moving moments, romantic moments, but it also has goofy moments and weird moments. I mean, it's just this perfect blend of tonal madness that somehow works, you know, and uh, I just adored it. Uh, you know, not only do is Peter Quill one of my favorite, um, uh, you know, heroes, but this all this movie also has one of my favorite, like on screen kisses, if you want to call it that. It's it's almost a kiss, but I still think it's fucking romantic as hell when they're out in that little patio somewhere and they're listening to the music and they're about to kiss. I mean, like I just I, I just think it's so sexy and romantic. It's just. Something about that film just just moved me in all the right ways. And um, if if I was to have a demerit for it, it's the fact that you know the Marvel machine was running at that point, and uh, instead of getting like a really dynamic villain in Ronan, even though I think he's cool, you know the movie had to introduce Thanos. And if once you start introducing Thanos in the beginning of the movie, you really undermine your villain, and that kind of that's probably the only flaw I can find in the movie, but that that's not either here nor there. But um, no, I, I, you know, I, I was, had high expectations for the second one. And uh, I know I am uh, the, the lone person on this one. Who's it's my least favorite of the three only because I think that um, there's a little bit too much of 
like as soon as you will get something very dramatic and uh, intense, like James Gunn was kind of afraid to stick that landing and goes with a, a really quick joke to, to ease that tension. And I think that might be some of what people complain about, about there being zingers and quips and stuff. I think that movie has a little bit too much of it. I also think the editing on it is a little rough because like that last battle kind of goes on forever and uh, it's not my favorite thing, but it's still a very good movie. I put it like three and a half stars, but you know, I got to admit, I was like, eh, okay. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough to, to get the first one. Um, but you know, as Katie mentioned, you know, infinity war happened and infinity war is probably my highest ranked Marvel film. Um, the blending of all these different genres and people is, is astounding. And yeah, it is Peter Quill's fault what happened, but at the same time, it's also so true to his character. He's emotional. He's got arrested development. You know, he, you know, he's so used to losing so many people and another probably hot take on this one, but I think Zoe Saldana and Chris Pratt, you know, offer some of the best performances in that movie full of a stock full of A-list stars. You know, uh, I think of the scene where Thanos has Gamora and Gamora and them, they already made a promise like, you're going to kill me if I get captured by Thanos. And you know, you can see it in his eyes, Chris Pratt, you know, he's going to do it, you know, and he doesn't want to do it, but he's going to do it. Amazing performance there. Just you know, always knocking it out of the park. Um, and then, of course, you know, Endgame, uh, with the exception of Rocket and Nebula, you know, they're not in it that much, but they still obviously have their great superhero entrance. Um, and then Volume 3, uh, or the Christmas special, which is fun. Uh, and then Volume 3. Uh, it's just a, it's a great run for characters. Like, and, and me and Don were talking about this in a prior episode about Tony Stark, also another one of my favorite heroes. Like, he never overstayed his welcome in any of his movies. Like, his character, despite appearing nine or ten times, much like the Guardians you know, never got old. He never got his, his moves felt organic and fluid. And the same thing with the guardians. I, I, every character, you know, uh, some of them in quite major ways, you know, Groot is obviously this interesting, you know, the first one, he's this really interesting creature, you know, that's kind of cute and funny and, you know, self-sacrificing. And the second one, he's a baby, you know, and then the third one, I, you know, he's kind of this, or he's a teenager in Infinity War. Like, he has an interesting arc, you know, that's kind of fun. You know, Drax has interesting things going on. I mean, every character they introduce in this Guardians thing is just compelling and interesting, you know, tragic and sad, but funny. Like, they just feel real. And I guess the best way, and this is kind of why Star Wars worked in the beginning, too, is because it all felt real and lived in. Like, you never felt like this was an artificial world from the get-go. Like, this felt like you were just happening to step into a universe that existed and has existed and will exist long after you're gone. And it just feels lived in and true and honest and emotionally open and vulnerable. And it's just a wonderful series with wonderful characters. I mean, I didn't even touch on some of the characters, but it just seems like uh, led by Chris Pratt. It's just a, a wonderful series. And I think we're blessed to really have, you know, these seven appearances or whatever you want to call it with them. So uh, I'll talk about it anytime. Well said, well said. Um, no, I come at this. I know I'm in the hater slot or where the hater slot would be, but um, <laughs> no, I have nothing but respect here because um, none of this should have worked when you think about it. Like these were D list heroes that, you know, no, no one, I mean, just a long way down the, the comic book shelf from Spider-Man and Wolverine and the popular Marvel world and what they were able to do. And like, like Will said last episode, when he talked about kind of the, the, 
how we got here to volume three, where Guardians of the Galaxy has to kind of introduce this, you know, way out there space, you know, space hopping, you know, world and galaxy building, so to speak. And um, that's a huge step um, and a jump from where magic came involved and gods came involved in Thor. And then here comes Guardians of the Galaxy. And it's Marvel's deepest victory yet for the whole blueprint of success that they've always been, especially with what their introduction to phase one, because you took something that, again, hodgepodge of heroes, no one really, especially with the powerless Peter Quill. And now I know we we all love our very human villains, that, or I'm sorry, heroes that don't always have to have beefy superpowers and whatnot. But, um, you know, this ragtag bunch of, of nobodies just, yeah, they shouldn't work. But then you get, and Will said it, you get talented people, you get a devoted creator and writer in here, and you kind of let him, you, you get out of his way and let him kind of have a vision to it. And again, that's another thing where for a lot of people before 2014, they didn't know who James Gunn was. So for him to kind of roll in here and just drop this um, and have it, you know, blossom and expand to where it has is super impressive where I just got to tip my hat and you, you catch Chris Pratt at the right time. You know, he, he made the jump into movies um, two years after zero dark 30 and d- different things that kind of put him on the map. The Lego movie, I want to say was the same year as this where like, what a one, two punch. Um, you get him in Jurassic Park the next year after that, and and it, it, you get you get a star, you know, who was kind of in a way doing kind of the modern equivalent of of Michael J. Fox, where he's your sitcom second, you know, second hero slash you know face lead who makes the jump to movies and and will never turn back because even though he's doing some TV here and there, but like that's a downright star, and you knew it when you saw it on TV. And now you see it on the big screen, and you put him in places where he, he can succeed, and you have that. By the time you get to two, you know, obviously the, the, the leeway that was granted thanks to financial success because the first one raked so well. Um, and that August slot was just perfect for the box office. I wish more movies would use that August slot to just really score, not just six cents in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but um, the second one, like a good sequel should, it raises the stakes and uh, raises the emotionality of the origin junk out of the way where you can kind of go deeper on these characters and you do. And just like Katie, uh, to me, that's an emotional, you get to emotional levels there that were, were improvements on the first one and great places you can take these characters to go. And I, I yeah, Cat Stevens comes on, I'm gone. You know, it's wonderful. And, and um, volume two will always have that. I know it's got its silliness. I know it's got its business. And uh, none of that ever goes away in any of the three films and any of the appearances they have. And that you kind of, once you get to two and you see that happening, you realize that's kind of, that's going to be James Gunn. That's going to be where this is always going to be. You're going to have this weird hopscotch between the heart and the action and, and whether or not that's going to always balance and whether you, whether you kind of cap it with a zinger, you cap it with a stunner. And it, that's always been about where those choices happen and where all that goes. We talked about three, so I'll kind of stay off that. You, get, you teaser to watch the last episode. Um, I don't think it quite lands everything it needs to land. I think it's way too much where, you can shave off the entire alternate earth. You can shave off the entire taming beast before rescuing children. Shit. You can get a whole lot of that movie back to just get to let's take care of rocket. Let's save the day while we're here. Let's save a few more things. And, and maybe having that capper where you, you part with your hero um, and, and you really close it off where they came in in the Avengers movie was, was the perfect breath of fresh air that they, that the those movies needed because you have Tony and the shell-shocked human heroes who are not used to these intergalactic huge things coming down on Earth. And here comes 
the Guardians of the Galaxy kind of with their with their own breath of fresh air that they were established to be, you know, bringing heroism to stories and stuff like that, bringing their drama and their their pieces to it as well. Where it, it they they were they were welcome appearances and welcome additions to those Avengers movies. I could take I'll be the curmudgeon because here we are on the hater slot. I could take or leave the Christmas special. That's some fluff and a half to me. Um, it's don't get me wrong. It's cute to pay off the Kevin Bacon joke. Uh, I don't need I don't need forty or fifty minutes of it. Um, I appreciated, um, I appreciated Drax and Mantis. I, give them their own, you know, eight episode series, but I don't need a Christmas special. But um, to see where it all chased and where it all landed, it, it landed in the right place. And again, it's um, James Gunn is special because he can he can give you weird. He can give you heart, and he can still deliver great action. And this series gave that in places that the uh, that his peers and his contemporaries across the hall in the Marvel offices could not do. And um, we, yeah, Will's right. We're going to reach a point where we're going to some of this comic book, yeah, the comic fatigue will grow. Some heroes are that they're going to bring in aren't going to land, and we, we can always kind of come back and go, "Damn, wasn't that great with Guardians?" And how can We'll always have that. We can turn these on as favorites. And as the best versus favorite guy, yeah, these are three movies that, yeah, I, I can poke holes all day with the critic hat on, but man, are man, are they just fun. If they're on TV, I'm, I'm hanging around. Um, I can't say that about every Marvel movie. I can't say that about every superhero movie. But yeah, you've got, you've got, good, you've got good romps, and you needed them when you needed them, and they played when they played. So that was good stuff. Nice. Yeah. All right, uh, ladies and gents, uh, let's take a quick break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. You've seen Twin Peaks all the way through, but all you have are spoiler-free discussions? At Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, no information is classified and nothing beats the listening sensation when production history collides with deep theory. Put the coffee on. All right, welcome back. Yeah, open it up. How, How we feel, how we go. Well, I mean, there's so much in this universe that, you know, yeah. like I said, I, I trying to compress it into five minutes was really tough because as I was coming to the end, which I went over, I was like, oh, crap, I didn't talk about Drax. I didn't talk about Kraglin or Yondu or like. I knew we would get there like, with. Yeah, I knew yeah. with high level thoughts, we get to the details and, and fun stuff here. So we're good. Sure. But yeah, no, I'm just saying it's it's such a a deep, you know, universe that it's just kind of. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's uh, great to talk about. Yeah. And so. Well, and I mean, yeah, like I was saying with the orphan thing, there's so many, I mean, all the characters have had horrible things that have happened to them. Like really, like this is a lifetime movie, like every single character. And mm-hmm. yet we laugh and laugh with them. It's like, they don't, you know, make that. It's like, Oh, we're going to get like, let's not hear about this because we're going to get sad. It's like, no, it's like this is these are their lives and you know they're the friend family that you need they have that um something in common that they can that can bond them together for life and they're there for each other and but i would really like to see i don't know i wish there could have been something with nebula uh because i feel Mm -hmm. like she has probably the darkest story out of everyone especially with like how she was treated by I mean, obviously she was kidnapped for some reason. And then the way she was dissected and treated by her adopted father, Thanos, um, and always blames Gamora. It's like, God, that's some that's some dark stuff you're dealing with, girl. Like, I'm sure your therapist is 
really going home and just drinking the night away after they <laughs> laid the listen to you with a session because I can't even imagine. But I think at the end, which I, I know I didn't mention this, and if we can give away a spoiler for, uh, I'm going to give away a spoiler for Guardians 3. I think one of the most beautiful things at the end is that when Groot speaks, you go from um, only Rocket knowing what he's saying in Guardians 1 to everyone knowing what he's talking, you know, understanding him in 2. And then at the end, when Groot speaks, um, have um, they allow the audience to know what he's talking, what he's saying, which is kind of like that's us, um, like letting Groot in or Groot letting us in to let um, us know like what he's actually saying and not just I am Groot, which I think is like, Aw, that's and we get to actually hear Vin Diesel not just say I am Groot. <laughs> <laughs> Which he got paid about eighty-four million dollars to do. Yeah. So. I'm mm-hmm. sure he's got all of his kids are going to college and all, you know, all the different boat houses and you know, or uh, lake houses and boats and all this. I'm I mean it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We it's a gig we would all take if we could. Yeah, and it's one of his finest performances. So you know, there's always that too. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Let's not bag on Vin Diesel too much. He's a good actor. He can what? be I not love- a good actor. I he love him. Uh, it's been a it. long time since a Sidney Lumet film showed him anything to do. Right, but he with could be family and cr- that's not what I'll play. What have you done for me lately? Till he shakes, till he shakes off this fast series, which I get it, make your money, um, but no, it, nah. He's he's lost it until he somehow shows he gets it back. True, yeah. I'm, mm-hmm. But I'm an asshole. But that's okay. Nah. True, very true. Um, or an a hole, as they say. Oh, excuse um, me. Yes, of course. But you know what? And this is—I know Don hates trailers, but like, I do. There was there was <laughs> something about the trailer for the first Guardians that sold that this was going to be a success to me, and it's when, um, uh, John C. Riley and Peter Serafinowicz are looking mm-hmm. at the guardians and they go, what a couple of a holes. <laughs> like, it's just kind mm-hmm. of, it's just like when you watch that trailer, you're like, okay, this might be something special. Like, I don't, I can't explain why, but the fact wow. that like, you know, a movie was able to just kind of say that up front and, and not take itself too seriously was kind of a nice. Yeah. Touch. I, I, they marketed right because you have those characters who you, I, um, you brought the right actors in where, there's a little bit of an enigma in them where no one's a definite number one A-lister, but at the same time, you give them some shades and places. Now, Chris Pratt was probably easily the biggest name coming off TV and whatnot, but like sure. you knew he could be a doofus, but at the same time, we don't get to see R-rated doofus too often. So, or well, PG-13 rated doofus too often. Sure, but sure. um, but no, like uh, unleash him with you know, unleash his charisma and charm. Put put make him roguish. See what you can do, and and then you surround him with. I mean, Zoe Saldana at that point post Avatar, like ass kicker personified. She did the loser. She did Columbiana. Like, you know, you bring in a a plenty of a heavy female, female who was not going to take any shit. Mm -hmm. And then obviously Bradley Cooper's voice, you know, doing all his lines in the trailer where like you got full on coke snoring, sarcastic Bradley Cooper. And that's all you need there. Um, So, yeah, they they just put the right cast around them. And yeah, just you give James Gunn again the unknown commodity for a lot of us was james gunn who's this guy and the, but folks like yourself will who knows his whole background like oh no he'll bring an edge and just wait oh and yeah here it comes. oh yeah. yeah for sure yeah no it's 
Yeah, it's. I mean, because I think Katie, tell me, you know, you have more of a horror pedigree than I do, but like, was the 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 film he did before this was Slither, right? Or did he? Yeah. Do, or did he do Super? I can't remember oh. which one he did. He did Slither was his big one. Uh, mm-hmm. Super, I believe, was after it. It and was. Then, of course, he started with 2012 between those two. All right. And then he, um, you know, Romeo or Tromeo in Juliet when he was doing <laughs> stuff with uh, Troma and stuff like that. But and, yeah. And Lloyd, Lloyd Kaufman, who shows up in uh, Guardians yes. 1 as a screaming prison person. <laughs> um, and, oh, okay. And then, so it. Go ahead, and then sorry. he was doing, and then he was doing the Scooby Doo movies. Well, he did those early two thousands, right? Yes. Yeah. So, the so Sarah Guardians, Michelle Geller ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Guardians kind of feels like a, you know, a movie that you make when you combine all of your experiences because True. there's a little, there's a little bit of Scooby Doo in Guardians. There's a little <laughs> bit of trauma. There's a little bit of Slither, and there's you know a little bit of Super, you know, um, and uh, just it just happens to be this, like I said, this perfect blend that I think works the best in one and three that I thought was a little heavy handed in two. Okay. Like I said, obviously works different for you guys, um, but uh, but yeah, it just it just feels like that first one was just a perfect storm, lightning in a bottle situation where. Like you said, everything should have gone terribly wrong, Mm -hmm. but somehow it became this huge success that people love. I mean, when you watch or even just or even just alienating, like I'm not going to this weird space place. I'm not watching Benicio del Toro play a collector. I'm not watching. I'm not watching that. Like Mm -hmm. who? They're painted green. They're covered in makeup. The one, the tree fucker, only says I am Groot. Like there's so many just (laughs) deal breaking things for the for the four quadrant crowd that. Out of yep. nowhere, just meshed and meshed and melted perfectly. Yeah, and um, <laughs> I just thought of a, a line from the movie because the first Guardians is so endlessly quotable. Like I was just oh, thinking of like definitely. when when Chris Pratt has no idea what Groot's saying, and he's like, uh, I don't know what the Giving Tree is telling us over here, or whatever. But <laughs> like, yeah. like, just like, just great, great mo- mo- uh, moments. But yeah, the, the, and you know, they also had to, another thing that should not have worked, but they did was like I said, I, it didn't work for me in terms of Ronan, but it works in terms of the movie and yeah. setting up the saga. Was introducing Thanos. This is kind of Thanos's. Right first intro this is the first time you hear mm-hmm. him kind of speak mm-hmm. and talk bro, and bro interact yeah you know and it's it's pretty you know it's that's a big deal that that was kind of like it i is. remember watching that and going like oh shit like you know they got to deal with that later you know like and it was kind mm-hmm. of a cool setup that shouldn't have worked really either without a deft hand you know but um yeah it just it just it, it's all kind of worked and I, I guess we could talk about the characters i mean yeah i, I think a good like when I think of uh, like great ensemble casts, like truly mm-hmm. great ensemble casts, it's always tough to pick a favorite, you know, because you love Ooh, them all. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like I think of like when I think of like um, Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Like I can't pick who's the best. I can't pick if Crow's better than Tom Servo or Joel's better than Mike or any of those because I love all of them equally. This is pretty close. I mean, Quill is the hero, so I kind of, you know, put him a little bit above everybody else. But, like, I can't say that I love Drax more than Groot or Gamora more than Nebula or anybody. Like, they're they're all so compelling, you know. But, I mean, if we had to try to say, you know, who's the best character in this series, like, 
could you do it? And who did you pick? Who would you pick? Best character in the series is, and the third one seals the deal. It's Rocket Raccoon. Rocket Raccoon stirs the drink, gets everything riled up nicely, gives the best, some of the best quips and lines, kind of pushes everyone in the right direction in the first one. Um, Obviously, the second it's you know it's it's tricky you know because he's kind of back to being a cog in the wheel. Um, the fact that he hangs around enough to make a few emotional uh, beats happen in the Avengers movies because he's there and, and whatnot, it, wh- where his friend, where his friends and colleagues aren't, and then of course that third one just seals the deal for me. Like that, it, if there's a number two, and that's the thing about ensembles here is there's such a deep roster. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a number two, it's Michael Rooker as Yondu. Because nice. um, you, in a movie of all, like, like Katie said, in a movie of all these orphans and all these screw-ups and all these um, wayward souls, here comes the the unexpected father figure who reverberates every chance he gets in all the places. So, But no, I think Rocket, Rocket for me is number one. Sorry, Peter. Rocket. Okay, so Rocket for me has one of the best lines in any of the Marvel films when they're in Endgame. After and and it's been five years, and Captain Marvel comes back, and Rocket says like, "Oh, are you gonna get another haircut?" And yeah. it's just like, "Well, I'm you know there are a lot of other galaxies, a lot of other worlds, and they're going through the same thing you are." It's like, "Okay, yeah, that's fair." And I'm like, "Damn, that was just funny and out of mm-hmm. nowhere and really hilarious." So I mean, I gotta There's give it to Rocket. He he classic he lands, Rockets in yeah, Endgame. There's some classic Rockets. Mm-hmm. He lands some lines, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think Gamora is amazing, yeah. Uh, especially arc. since she's like you know playing the double agent. Um, but I love the fact that you know to go back to Guardians, the fact that Glenn Close is like <laughs> um, in it. It's like what the f is going on? Is Glenn Close in a Marvel? And she's like, mm-hmm. and she's like the boss bitch of you know Xandar. It's like. Well, good for you. Okay, I don't know what's happening, but all right. And then John C. Riley. I mean, and plus the fact that it's like neither one of them have any makeup. It's like, look, we'll do your movie. We're not going to put on any of this crap, but we'll do your movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, we've been Give nominated. Cool for, yep. Yeah, we've been nominated for Oscars. Give us a break. You're lucky to have us. And then it's like, okay, that's fine. Um, it, they count but, as a missed opportunity yeah. to me, where I was. Like I would take more Nova and Nova Core going forward in well, two and three. A missed opportunity. Well, well, yeah. Well, a they killed everybody in Nova off screen. Yeah, you know, in Infinity War. Uh, so Glenn Close is a goner. But also, I think I read somewhere that because there is another character that would easily fit into Guardians of the Galaxy, and in the comics was a big part of the Annihilation uh storyline and, and became a huge cosmic character it was nova obviously mm-hmm. yeah uh, and i read somewhere that james gunn hates that character which is why nova Go never figure. shows yeah. up so so i think like uh that's probably why uh yeah. nova doesn't exist too much but uh um, Kate, katie I, sh- I shut you off from your character debate stuff keep going oh, yeah, oh, sorry my bad uh well but one character that was missing from three that starts off in one and two and really sets the pace is uh, Meredith Quill. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. she's the one who brings the heart to Peter that you see that, you know, and starts his love of music and everything. And then in two, you see her with uh, ego and singing, you know, Brandy and stuff like that. And mm. just again, 
starting the stuff with them, you know, with Peter. And I wish, I don't know, I don't know how they would have put her in three. I mean, obviously they didn't because he was dealing with a lot of other stuff and he kind of, I felt like sort of had the closure with his mom since he found out like why she actually died and stuff like that. Mm. So that's probably why nothing happened in three with her, but I felt she was kind of missing. I do like the fact that, like I said, um, regarding our review of three, that you bookend the series with Greg Hendry as um, Peter's grandpa starting it off the first, you know, the first scenes in one and then ending the whole trilogy in three that um, he's, he isn't too, he isn't too very shortly. He is. He, he is. is. He, yeah. he is like he's eating ice cream or something at Dairy Queen or something. Well, no, he's in the car. He's in the car. Ah, and, that's right. Um, yeah. But yeah. it's nice that he bookends the, oh, for the, sure. the entire series. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, and one thing that drives me nuts, and you're mentioning the mom, you know, one thing that I hated, because I hate, like, I, I'm sure Don agrees with me on this. And I've never got your take on this, but like. Okay. I know our I know our pal Aaron White hates this, but like, you know, there was all the jokes like when Lord of the Rings came out that like, you know, Sam and Frodo are gay because they love each other, <laughs> you know, like like. And one thing that drove me nuts is like people were always like, well, the first Guardians is really awkward because like when Peter has his vision of take my hand, first it's his mom, and then it's like the girl he's really into, and I'm like, but that's not the point. Like, it's not. No. It's not no. like he's got some Oedipus complex. It's because love and strength and that need to be together and stuff is like, you know, it's, that's a universal feeling. It's, you know, I, I, I hated when people were just like, it's creepy. He wants to bang his mom. I'm like, okay, stop it. Stop it. It was a powerful moment as tear jerking moment. in the first one, um, but you know what? I mean, I, it's something, I just want to go back to the first one real quick before I go to my favorite character. But like, I just mm-hmm. remember, showing my mom this movie and you know at first she was kind of like well i'll just go back to knitting whatever i'm knitting and not pay attention to this but like by the end you know when rocket's little hand is reaching out they're all supposed to hold hands you know to to harness the energy of the stone like she was like come on touch it touch it get his hand like you know like it's just like even she who like could care less about these movies like was involved you know so just worked on every level but favorite character oh god i mean i've already done my bonafides for uh star lord one of my favorite heroes um and it's a little unfair to maybe name him i think because he is the main character so i mean he is supposed to get a lot of the attention so i'm gonna take him out of the equation because i don't think that's fair necessarily uh in terms of pure enjoyment of of things um i i might have to go drax i i know that a lot of you i know you guys have trouble with him becoming a little clownish. And I, I definitely agree with that. And obviously the actor himself feels that way. Um, but in terms of just pure joy, I get from seeing his presence. Um, and the fact that even after like seven appearances, he can still do stuff that makes me laugh. Uh, you know, even he's only in Endgame for like three minutes. Mm hmm. But, like, after, you know, the assemble moment and he jumps on, like, one of the Thanos uh, black or whatever they called the uh, the sons of Thanos. <laughs> and he's stabbing the guy in the back screaming, ah, like, it's just like it's everything about his, like, presence just brings a smile to my face. He just has, like, I think Batista is not only the best, you know, 
uh, wrestling actor, but, uh, you know, just a great actor in general. Ooh. And, uh, you know, you just, uh, I don't know. And then, like I said, the capper in our episode on volume three is, you know, the whole father thing just destroyed me and it, it, it brought mm-hmm. everything full circle for me. And yeah, I, I've got a soft spot for Drax that I, I really can't let go of. I just love that character. I love the performance. Yeah, I love the actor. So, yeah, I will say that I think that, and I, neglected to mention this i feel like mantis actually has had Mm. a very full arc and has to me uh, has shown the most growth as in of any of the characters because coming from you know ego's world and not knowing anyone but him feeling so awkward about herself and everything and then developing that uh friendship with drax and then at the end, you know, that she needs to, you know, really understand, understand herself and, you know, figure out who she is. I feel like that's a huge, that's a huge leap from where you start to where you go from in a very mm-hmm. short amount of time. And I think, you know, I mean, Palm Clementine does an amazing job doing that because it's like, you know, she holds her own. She's very yeah. um, weak and um, meek in the first one. And then it's like she steps it up and it's like, no, I am going to stay, you know, say this like I am ugly. I will do this. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and, she does a great and her tracks together is brilliant. Like those oh, two yeah. beat off each other so well, like in number two, when he's just like, you are hideous. You disgust me. And he starts like almost vomiting. Right. And she's obviously this even with the antenna, like this gorgeous French woman. But uh, yeah, it's just it, they work so well together and, and that whole special runs off of their chemistry together. Those two. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, um, I mean, she, to me, she's the MVP of that Christmas special. I mean, Drax is doing the Drax thing, but she, she does a great job. Oh yeah. And I know one of you who said they didn't think the Christmas special was necessarily necessary. That was me. So I was going to be will come on now. <laughs> no, I mean, I have to disagree because it's because yeah. the Christmas special that you find out that she is Peter's sister. Right. Whole, like, point, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, obviously they could have put that in one of the other movies, but that's a big yep. thing for the Christmas special. And honestly, it's got two of my new favorite songs in Christmas. That's like, I yeah. love those songs, especially the one that um, Kevin Bacon did with the old 57s, 97s. I think mm-hmm. it's 57s. Uh, Love it. I use that on so many different posts and reels on social media. So, yeah, I mean, James Gunn did it again. I thought that was great. And the fact that, I mean, watching Infinity War again for this and then thinking of that Christmas special when Nebula gives Rocket um, (laughs) uh, the Winter Soldier's Bucky's arm, it's like, oh. Oh, you yeah. said that in Infinity War that he was going to, it's like, I'm going to get that arm. It's like, and you did. That's really funny. <laughs> oh, God. That's another great line, too, when Quill's like, here, I got, I got you the leg. And he's like, I didn't need that. And Quill's like, what? And he's like, <laughs> I just wanted to see if you'd do it. Like, I just love <laughs> yeah. that. But but no, I mean, and that and I will defend the, the holiday special, too, because that has some of my favorite like just 
uh, one-liners and quips that I quote, like when, when Star Lord's like, "Yeah, you just basically committed human trafficking by like you know <laughs> stowing Kevin Bacon in a, a fridge or whatever." But also the whole idea of like it's a little on the nose, but I appreciate it. Like when they're like, "We got him the worst gift ever. He's an actor. We hate you. Like actors are disgusting. Like I just love that. It's hilarious." So. Yeah, I'll defend the special. I, I I think it is fluff for a reason. It's it's a yeah. special. It's forty five minutes. It's not supposed to be huge or impactful. It's just supposed to be a little bit of fun. Sure. And uh, it's only forty five minutes, so it's not too bad. So, is there anything in across their appearances in the main trilogy that you feel is a on the on the panel here is a missed opportunity? Is there a place they dropped the ball? Hmm. For me, I think I said this in the third episode, the Adam Warlock treatment kind of sucks. Um, I'm not going to re- regurgitate that from our volume three episode. I think the other place that um, that there was a missed opportunity is is Thor. I mean, you did a great setup of putting Thor into like having him join the squad. Uh, I would have l- gladly enjoyed more of that. I would have liked to see James Gunn's version of the ball busting and competition and not Taika Waititi's where... If mm. Guardians Three was a half Thor adventure, or, or just whatever it could have been, versus the the I don't know the waste of time, it, 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 the, the lost opportunity that it was in Thor: Love and Thunder. So those are Big my two. Time. I agree with you. Yeah. As Guardians of the Galaxy not happening because that that is still a scene I will just watch the clip of over and over again from Endgame when they're like, you know, when they're like, <laughs> yeah. uh, of course, of course, of course, like they're like I'm yeah. in charge, yeah. you're in charge, you're in charge. <laughs> yeah. like, just that that whole thing is just like no one will be knifing anyone yeah. like just like it's so fun and then obviously in infinity where they have that great moment you know like where quill is like you will not sir and it's like are you doing something to your voice and he's like yeah. no i always talk like this you know it's just <laughs> yeah it's you just like those... it. your voice is deeper yeah <laughs> it is not like <laughs> you know, just <laughs> i love i love like their interaction so that that i would agree with you that might be a huge okay. missed opportunity but yeah i think um it's tough because marvel i wouldn't say marvel i say more disney shot themselves in the foot a little bit with how they treated James Gunn. Yes. And that definitely affected a lot of stuff. Now I know the, you know, the infinity war thing was, you know, what I, what I do love about a lot of the MCU people that are behind the scenes that take over these properties is like, they're very possessive of their characters. Like I remember hearing Peyton Reed getting like really pissed off that the Russos got to use Ant-Man in a movie. Like, cause he was like, well, Ant-Man's kind of mine, you know, like, and it does kind of show you that you don't have a lot of control over the grand scheme of things. And and there were definitely some things that could have happened, I think could have even been more impactful or more fluid if he was allowed to do volume three before I, I was it original. I'm trying to think. So 2017 was the second one, right? Right. That's what it came out. Yeah. So Infinity War was 2018, 2019, I think. 2018. Because 2018 and, and then Endgame yeah, was 2019. 19, uh-huh. Right. So I don't know if he would have had enough time to get a Guardians film out there before Endgame, but you know, but uh he might have been able to do something post blip that was pretty affecting or something. But well, yeah, there if- was yeah. E- even if Guardians 3 came last summer before 
Thor Love and Thunder. You know, like mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. whatever Thor is doing now, and we've had that discussion where he's the most up and down, hot and cold character in the whole wide world. Um, mm-hmm. But no, no, if, if Guardians 3 was last summer instead of this summer, and you can mm-hmm. and then you can play a little more, you know, have Thor have Thor play around a little longer and then let him branch off and do his thing with whatever that turned out to be with Love and Thunder. That, I would have taken that little swap right there. Yeah, because that is, I mean, I like Thor Love and Thunder, but I get why people don't. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it, but I was frustrated too because I was like, oh, I was hoping the Guardians would have been in this more, you know? And mm-hmm. it kind of felt like a little bit of a, like, a, hey, we got to wrap up yeah. this hanging thread before Guardians 3 because they kind of show up. And it's some of my favorite parts of it, like, you know, oh, sure. just being like, what a maroon <laughs> this guy is. Like, you know, like, uh, yeah. You know the whole thing about the handshake, and he's like, "Oh, we're we're still we're still doing the handshake. Oh, oh we're still doing this. Like it's just <laughs> yeah, great." And and, uh, and and to to continue with how like I use these words a lot, fluid and organic, but like okay, even in Thor: Love and Thunder, you can see like Chris Pratt, like he's obviously not himself. Like Peter Quill is not himself. He's he's a little unshaven. He he he's more irritable. You know, and where he's at, like they never lost track of like where these characters are. Like that's why I think they're so honest and true. Because, yeah, Thor: Love and Thunder is a pretty goofy ass movie, but like somewhere in there, Chris Pratt is still playing uh, Star Lord as he would have been at that time. Which is, you know, he's not sure what's going on with Gamora, and he's depressed, and it added like this little kind of realm of real realism to it that was obviously lacking in a lot of the, the rest of the movie. But I also think that goes into the fact that I think James Gunn was available. Cause I mean, obviously they were making infinity war before he was fired. Mm-hmm. I would assume because he was still listed as a producer and he was also, a, he wrote all the guardians parts for infinity yeah. war, which I think is why. Yeah. And end game, which I think is why it works so well. Cause we've seen, Marvel's course corrected a little bit, but especially between phase one and phase two, we've seen some weird changes. Like, you know, I think me and Don are on the fan are on the on board with like, maybe Joe Johnson could have done all three. It would have been pretty cool. So I'm yeah. a big Russo's guy. Oh and yeah. Then I mean, Winter Soldier's cool, but I would have loved to see Johnson keep that, yeah. keep that, keep that charm going. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously, you know, Favreau left and though I love Shane Black, mm. you do have quite a difference between that's one and two and drop. three. Yep. Uh, well, it's not a drop, but uh, but oh, yes. uh, eh, I, hate, I hate everything about you. Do- but, Doctor, uh, Doctor, Doctor's khaki <laughs> armor, come on, we could have did better. I am going to punch you in the face when I see you <laughs> at the end of June. But um, no, they've they've been a little bit more consistent with keeping. You know, Peyton Reed has stayed on the Ant Man's. Mm-hmm. The Russos have kind of stayed on Captain America. Uh, you know, they, they, obviously for better or worse, they're staying with Taika. You know that they've they've. Yeah stuck to their guns a little bit. And so I think the benefit of that is when you have someone like James Gunn, who has literally written, directed, or at least influenced all of the appearances, it gives you that, um, even that continuity. Consistency. Yeah, the continuity. Yeah, yeah. Cause, cause you know, my biggest gripe is, you know, I, my least favorite MCU film is age of Ultron. And I, I despise that movie for a lot of reasons, but two of them is because I think Joss Whedon went in there 
and took everything that was built up about Iron Man and Captain America and just threw it out the window for plot convenience. And it was like, well, I need Iron Man to do this, so forget about what happened to him as a character. And I need Captain America to do this, and I'm going to make him a quip machine, you know, that says stupid shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he needs to service my... Like, it became more of a... He kind of took over the characters as opposed to letting those characters grow. Yeah. And Marvel's doing a much better job with that, and I think they learned that lesson primarily through Gunn, because they were like, crap, let's just let him write the dialogue, because... The, the guardians work in every appearance that they're in. I mean, I can't, I can't think of one, you know, I mean, even love and thunder, like I said, they're true to their characters. It doesn't bother me. So yeah, it helps. I, I was worried because once Taika did his thing, like, Oh God, they're going to drag the guardians down with it. But so far, so good. Yeah. Well, and I mean, with gun, I mean, they also let him put the music in that it's that oh, guardians yeah. is very, that is, I mean, is famous for. I mean, when you've got the Rubber Man playing in Infinity, and like, you know, Quill's singing it, and like Gamora's mouthing it, and like everyone else just asleep because they've like heard it eighteen jillion times, <laughs> and it's just classic. But that's one of the things too that I mean to see Peter with his cassette tapes and his like tape deck, and I mean, it's like that's so throwback, and I love it, and it's that nostalgia that. I mean, not only the soundtrack, but just the um, the analog of it. I mean, to mm-hmm. ha- I mean, God, I, I mean, I don't even know if I, I may still have um, a Walkman somewhere in my apartment. Uh, believe I want me, a I Microsoft Zoom lo- is what I want. That's Zoom, I mean. Zoom? Yeah, I, I don't even Zoom, know. I, I didn't even know what that was. Honestly, I honestly yeah. thought they made that up. I didn't know that that was a real <laughs> oh, thing. Oh, that's a, that's a real thing. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of the big joke at the end of two mm-hmm. is like, he's like, hey, you, you're moving up in technology and he gets him a Zoom, you know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and that's the thing. It's like, so that would have been brand new to me because it's like, I don't know what a Zoom is. I'd never heard of it before <laughs> until I saw it in two so i was like oh that's cool why don't you just get an ipod i'm like maybe that's what that is i don't know yeah Yeah. (laughs) when i tell kids about ipods now oh my gosh like because i bought the first generation and i bought the one with the u2 signatures on it and the album on it so it was that how to dismantle a bomb or whatever the fuck that stupid album's called Uh and uh you know the the ipod was black and red and like I probably spent five hundred dollars on that thing, and now they give you like iPods for free when you. Uh, oh, I know. When you buy bread at the grocery store, you know. It's yeah. <laughs> but uh, but um, not so low key behind the scenes MVP of the movie. I, I mean, obviously James Gunn doing what he can do, writing, directing, creating, and curating, so to speak. But music supervisor Dave Jordan, who's done every, I, yes. I want to say every MCU film, and of course these three, just find the choices cuts and so i was curious about that do you guys do you guys know because i almost kind of feel like you know there's so many of these movies and projects right Uh you see see these names a lot like sarah haley finn does the casting and dave jordan does the music and stuff like Mm -hmm. does it get get to a point where it's like they're just kind of like in name only overseers or do you think that they yeah, Sarah, for like, for example, your casting director, she is a veteran who's been around a very long time. And if you've noticed, like on um, what's the most recent Marvel show we all watched? Um, da, 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 um oh, shit, I'm drawing a blank. What was the WandaVision? last? WandaVision. Oh, no, She-Hulk. She-Hulk oh, and yes. WandaVision. Um, you can see there's like a second casting name lately accompanying Sarah, where I think yeah. she's starting to pass the torch mainly out of veteranness and age. 
Um, but then, but no, Dave Jordan just it's always there. Um, so I always feel like lately he's been monopolized everywhere. where you don't you don't see him doing other music supervision work either. Like I think MCU just kind of has him. He's locked in a oh, really? locked in a CD vault doing his thing. I thought yeah, I'd no. seen him before, and I, and that's why I was like, is it like a Clive Cussler situation where it's like I, I'm trying to think we gotta what give he did. Dave the credit, you know? Like, yeah, I know. I, I'm trying to think what he did pre MCU. Like I assume he came up from somewhere, but like what tree he came from? That's a, I'll dig that up. You guys keep talking. Well, and I know like Groot. Tyler. Yeah, like tree. I'm trying to get Mike Holmgren about this. Come on, Groot. like Groot tree. Tyler Bates is also listed as a music supervisor on two because yeah. I was um, looking up that, but I definitely know yeah that Dave because I was gonna talk about that too that Dave Jordan has worked on all three and then Captain America and different mm-hmm. ones. So yeah, he's in so involved with um, all of the MCU. Well, and I'll also say if we're talking about music. Um, I think the score for the first one is awesome, and that's that's the one. I, I'm, I I'm wish it kept up that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna say that's very rare for a soundtrack heavy movie mm-hmm. to have an excellent score as well. But I still drop a lot of tracks from that's you know the score of that movie like all the time because there's some great stuff. There's a track called Black Tears, which is mm-hmm. kind of that moment at the end where they're all uniting, you know, to defeat Ronan and it's just awesome. Like it still gives me goosebumps. It's like just a great sequence. And yeah, it's it's uh yeah, I, I will admit, like I don't remember much. There was some cool like digital kind of weird stuff going on in three, but I don't remember much of the score for the other two. Uh but the first one has an excellent score. So yeah, he's I, that's probably one disappointment I have in a lot of Marvel movies that like until Alan Sylvester showed up, there was never like a good musical signature for the series, but yeah, it t- the time series, tried. perhaps. I mean, yeah. it depends there's, a, on what, there's a Marvel beat now. Thanks to Alan, but we didn't have that. Well, I mean, it depends on what your taste is. I mean, I've always been a Christoph Beck guy. Like he, he had a really cool Ant-Man theme that I liked, but yeah, the Avengers theme is kind of the only one that really, uh, and then obviously, you know, you got Ludwig Gorenson winning an Oscar for Black Panther. He kind of changed things yeah, a little bit. And that's true. It's, it's definitely changed, but I don't, I tell, I totally agree with you. There is not a lot of the continuity with the music. That's, mm-hmm. that's quite, I mean, I think it's, uh, is it Henry Jackman that does like, like if you try to, I think it's him or it's somebody else that does like Winter Soldier and Civil yeah, War. Like, he does Winter Soldier, yeah. If you try to listen to those soundtracks like on your Spotify while you're like studying or writing or something, it's basically just noises, like things banging yeah. together. It's not even not really like music, it, yeah. you know. It's it's kind of sad, but but yeah, the the first the first movie Guardians might be like this fantastic, like I said, lightning in a bottle of like great score great music great acting great ensemble great characters great writing great directing like everything just works you know so well well and i don't know if uh don you're looking this up but man yeah he's been one yes i think almost every single mcu i'm seeing that yeah yeah but i mean not only that but it's like i mean a lot of other stuff like the upside Mm -hmm. of anger electra Fat Albert, Harold and yeah. Kumar go to White Castle. I mean, Fast the Punisher. Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. He's. I mean, if he did Fast and Furious, that's that's the only one I've seen is the first one. I think I've seen the yeah. fourth one too. That's yeah, I remember, I remember having that soundtrack, and it would it would switch yeah. from like you'd have like Jaw Rule, and then suddenly you would have like this industrial metal band called Dope, and you're like, whoa, where is this going? Like mm-hmm. just eclectic stuff. 
and and it mu- he must be stepping up his game too uh, because like you go to something like um, Moon Knight and Miss Marvel and yeah. stuff like that where it's it gets a little bit more regional you know like you're sure. getting like like with Miss Marvel you're getting a lot of the uh, and forgive me if I don't know the correct you know terminology but I, I think it's like Pakistani and and sure. Indian and stuff like that like you're yeah. getting more of like that influence I mean um Black you get Panther the Egyptian pop in Moon Knight and then you get yeah. throwing like Ingobert Humperdinck still you like it, it gets he he, he yeah. finds just gems it's amazing yeah or like when they move play like in Black Panther you know it's a hip-hop heavy soundtrack but like you know when they go to South Korea it's like South Korean you know and then and uh, Shang-Chi you know very Asian influenced you know music mm-hmm. and and even oh, in yeah. Falcon, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, when they go to Madripoor, like they they find these really yeah, unique, good one. like you know, uh, like Asian centric like rap and hip hop. It's really impressive stuff. Well, and then you've got uh, Hotel California, which is one of the reasons why I love um, <laughs> which is great. I mean, confuse them all the time. <laughs> I know that is as <laughs> the group. That one is one I, I jumped on John or John. I jumped on uh, Don. Uh, that is my middle last, name. Someday I'm going to go by John. Yeah, Don John. It. Wow. Uh, uh, but Don, no. John, yeah, definitely. But I uh, jumped on him because, like, uh, I got Shang Chi like in my top 100. I love that movie so much. But that's this is not a podcast for Shang Chi. This is Guardians of the Galaxy. So we're going to move mm-hmm. on. That's- but uh, <laughs> any final thoughts on the Guardians franchise? I think we've said a lot, but I also yeah. feel like we haven't said enough. Do you want to? Keep talking and break this into two parts. I'll say it out loud. No, I mean, okay. <laughs> never mind. Okay, I do not. <laughs> then, I, then I defer my closing thoughts to our guest, Katie, for sure. I think, as uh, a franchise film, I think this has really shown the growth of all of its characters. It's giving, it's given them so much to work with, so much to deal with, so much that they've like so much closure that they've had to do and yet they're still growing i hope i really hope at some point we get to see a number of these characters again because i know with the finale of the third and final one i mean they say it's the final one i really hope that's not the case in some way or another but i you know i have a feeling it's definitely not going to be anytime soon i know that not within the next five years or so but there's always hope. You never say never. Uh, and I love what James Gunn, and I really have to say that what James Gunn has created, what he's let grow, and um, what everyone has um, loved to enjoy. I know I love taking my family to see this. Um, they called me as soon as they got done with the last one. I took my nephews to the first one, and I think the second one. Uh, and yeah, I can't wait to see it with them again for the third one. And I just love what he's done. Love it. Kate, thanks as always for Katie, not Kate. Thanks yeah. always for coming on. Uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to get you back many more times again. Well, please, we please. should, we should uh, also let people know where we can find the blonded front. So That's tell right. us, yes. Katie, please. Uh, you can find the blonde in front on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and my blonde, the blonde in front. You can also see me and hear my reviews as the blonde in front of fear on radio four and on postmortem radio. 
Love that. Love that. It's good stuff. Um, so, uh, for us, you want to follow us on Twitter at Cinephile Fit, on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, and Instagram at Cinephile Fits. You can find me and Don by name on Letterboxd to check out our film reviews, ratings, and really fun lists. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes, and we are charter members of the Independent Film Critics of America. Thank you so much for your loyal listenership in our tussles and for connecting with us on social media. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a Ruminations Radio Network podcast sponsored by Film Obsessive and 25YL Media. If you enjoyed this show, the Ruminations Radio Network has more excellent programming with stellar hosts and spirited topics. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show and others on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you can find your favorite podcasts.